Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode seven of The Digital Grocer. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, president and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. And as always, joining me in the studio is Mr. Mark Fairhurst, our senior director of marketing. Welcome, everyone. It's great to see you, Mark. And at the board is, I like to call him Scotty, but uh, <laughs> there is no warp speed on this podcast. Kevin Glenn. How's it going? Gentlemen, I'm so happy we're back from episode six. Episode six was really kind of cool. And yep. We talked about cyber insurance with our friends over at Martin Mary Reed. And, and the feedback and the questions coming out from the industry has been tremendous. I don't know if I told you guys I was on the phone the other day with a company from Israel mm-hmm. who's actually in our space. Okay. And they said, we love the podcast. Uh, we have oh, a, they're actually subscribing. Yeah, they're subscribed. Wow. And they, they're like, they're so excited. And but... And they love it because I know we we actually normally release our episodes on Sundays, right? Right to kind of queue it up for the week. Yep. So they work on Sundays, and they played in the office out loud on a speaker. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great, right? So they're like they had a bunch of questions, and they're going to send questions. You know, the one thing that's that's really interesting about the space that we're in in grocery retail is. You know, historically, we used to say, oh, the landscape is, is you know, going to rapidly morph and change. It's happening today. Mm-hmm. There isn't a week that goes by where there is a major announcement, whether it's a new partnership, whether it's a new piece of technology, even greater than that is we're actually now seeing retailers kind of morph the way that they do business. You know, we did the interview, I think, Mark, was it last week or the week before with Canadian Grocer? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yep. Right. I think yep. and with the whole title of it was autonomous vehicles. Correct. And they wanted our opinion in terms of, you know, do we see grocers adopting autonomous vehicles? Yep. And, you know, we made the point of, you know, for us to see really drastic change in this space, it's going to take the large three automotive manufacturers to really lobby the government's hard. But it doesn't preclude the fact that we're seeing some tremendous investment in this space. You know, Kroger working with doing a pilot in California mm-hmm. in terms of delivering groceries and an autonomous vehicle. And I think that's great. We have this amazing show coming up in Las Vegas. Yes. I think it's at the end of October. Yep. It opens on the Sunday. Yes. The 28th. Uh, 20, yes. 28th. 28th. Yep. Uh, grocery shop, which is a spinoff of Shop Talk. Mm-hmm. We were at Shop Talk uh, the last, which was this year. The grocery track was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The content was amazing. The attendees and the buzz was just was just great. I'm excited to see the trends that are going to be discussed at the show. I'm more curious to see what's really going to be transformational out there in the industry. And much like we've done in our other shows, uh, in the other episodes, we just don't rely on our own knowledge. Mm-hmm. We bring in a special guest and i will tell you ladies and gentlemen if you're listening we've brought the one guy who gets this industry from end to end calling from somewhere in the united states likely on the west coast because he knows better than the rest of us the weather is way better in california joining us is the supermarket guru himself phil lempert phil well thank you so much for inviting me oh you're welcome it's great to have you on our show and you know, for those of you who don't know Phil, he's the guy all the major networks, whether it's TV, radio, trade publications, 
He's the guy they go to to demystify whatever may be happening from a product perspective, from a trend perspective, or, or quite frankly, just to understand what is going to be, what is happening in this space and what may be coming down the pipe in this space. So it's great to have you uh, on our show today. So, so tell me from your perspective, when you look at the retail landscape today, what gets you really excited? Well, what gets me excited besides the work that you're doing and what's going on at, at Grocery Shop is the fact that we're really attracting for the first time ever a whole new level of expertise to grocery. You know, being in grocery was never the cool guys, but now we're attracting people from Harvard and MIT and Stanford and people who really want to transform our industry. And that's probably the most exciting thing I've ever seen. My job is to walk up and down the aisles of supermarkets and tap consumers on the shoulder and say, why did you buy this? Why didn't you buy that? And consumers are getting smarter than ever before. So we're really looking at this industry through a very different lens. And when I look at what Grocery Shop is doing, and you mentioned it earlier, they are not only attracting people that typically are not on the platform speaking, but they're they're attracting people, CEO level, who are really sharing the idea. Today's food entrepreneur, whether it's for products or whether it's for retail, are really driven by a whole new set of rules. It used to be, you know, driven by money. Now they're driven by a social conscience, health and wellness, enhanced nutrition, life hacking. You know, the world is upside down down. And I think for me, that's fabulous. Absolutely. Now I'm kind of curious, how hard is it being a grocery retailer today when you have the myriad amounts of pressure coming down from the consumers who just want more? And so is it become that much more of a challenge for a brick and mortar operator? Absolutely. And not only do you have the challenge from the consumer, but now you have the challenge, you know, from all new kinds of retailers who want to sell food, whether it's food from e-commerce, whether it's players who have never been in food before, but decided because food is so big, they want a piece of it. You know, Kimball Musk is, is a great example. Instacart, great example. I mean, these are people typically who have not been in the food world that are coming in the food world. So you've got those challenges as a retailer and also, frankly, the traditional supermarket that's 42 to 45,000 square foot is a dinosaur. It, it shouldn't exist. It, it probably became extinct 10 years ago and these retailers just never did it. So we're also looking at that physical configuration. How do we have to change this? And when you think about how a supermarket is built and, and how it's put together, that we walk through the produce department, then up and down the aisles, and we're you know passing by some 40,000 products. That's absurd. Who says the supermarket should look like that? That's not the way we eat. Why not re-envision a supermarket to be mirroring the way we eat? We buy foods for breakfast. We buy it for lunch. We buy it for snacks. We buy it for dinner. Why doesn't the supermarket set up like that? And there's certain products like milk, for example, that might be in all four of those areas. But we need to rethink the physical layout of a supermarket if, in fact, we want consumers to get excited. And now with automatic replenishment, what we're going to see is, you know, half the products that are in the supermarket, those brand names that we never want to run out of, those are going to disappear, which is going to give us a lot more space in that store to really have conversations with the produce guy, with the, with the meat manager, with the baker, and really 
get into a whole culinary experience, if you would, versus, again, that boring idea of walking up and down aisles. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting concept because at, at the end of the day, what it lends itself well is to take the products that are ultimately very commoditized. Mm -hmm. You know, I can get these online. You know, For us at home with me and my wife, I won't go to the grocery store to buy Tide detergent. Not being offensive to Tide, I think it's mm -hmm. a great product. But I don't need to see it on a store shelf. I'm actually more interested in, as you're suggesting, having a conversation with the butcher behind the counter to understand what is this steak that I'm going to buy? Where did this cut of meat come from? And what can I do with it, right? So it's a richer experience. And then so the store becomes significantly decluttered in that sense. And it's more akin to my lifestyle and likely to a bunch of other mm -hmm. consumers' lifestyle. But when I think of those concepts, then I start to wonder, are we over-retailed in America? Absolutely. We don't need the amount of stores that we have. And also, a lot of the stores that we have are mirror images of their competitors. So yeah, maybe the floor is a different color and so on, but it's the same basic products, which is why what we're starting to see with retailers like Green Zebra or Air One, you know, these brick and mortar experiences that are smaller, that have unique offerings that we can't get elsewhere, that's, that's becoming very exciting, you know, for retail. Why should I have to, you know, go to Albertsons and Safeway and see the same products, especially when their stores are across the street? So sure, I can save 10 cents on a can of peas, big deal. That's not what retailing and merchandising is all about. Yeah, that's true. So I'll, let me relate an example to the audience. So north of Toronto, there's a very small family um, retail outfit called Vince's Market. And Majority of the people, unless you're here in Toronto, will not will have not heard of it. So the family operates, I think, maybe ten locations max, maximum. Kevin, do you know? I know they had a location in uh, in Etobicoke. Okay. Right, and they had one in Sharon as well. Correct. Yeah, and I think they've they've subsequently opened more. The family turned around and ended up purchasing a Target location once Target decided to, to exit the Canadian space. You know, reaction being. This is a target facility, maybe 50,000, 60,000 square feet. It is at attached to a Cadillac Fairview Mall, which in the U.S. equivalent is, is like, you know, I can't, Simon's Malls, right? I think it's mm -hmm. called where they have mm -hmm. the, the Lexus parked outside mm -hmm. and the valet parking. So you're kind of like, why would a very small, small, small local retailer make that type of substantial investment? Well, when you visit this location... And I met with the manager at, at the front door in the opening day. And I said to him, why, why this? He says, you understand two things. First of all, we know we're not capturing your entire share of wallet as a consumer. So we've actually made the decision not to put every single product that we can fit inside 50,000 square feet. That's number one. Number two is they've created these very, very unique food stations much like Price Chopper did with their concept that they did before the mm -hmm. Market 32 came out. Mm -hmm. And so yep. they've put in these very unique food stations inside. So unique that they have attracted European CPGs into the Canadian marketplace to feature certain products, cheeses, prosciuttos, and so on and so on. It is, and coffees, and it's amazing. Uh, when you walk in, it's literally a culinary experience every station that you go to. And I'm like, wow, this may be my new favorite grocery mm -hmm. store. And that's a great example that relates back to what you were saying, Phil. 
I did not get a chance to talk to any of the CPGs inside this door, but historically my conversations with CPGs is they're playing a little bit of catch up on this whole e-commerce thing. And it's, they're a bit worried. Is that the sense that you're getting from your conversations? Yes. I think that not only CPGs, but also retailers are, are fearful of what's going on with e-commerce. E-commerce in the States is now about 2%. That's it. I mean, some people have said it's going to go to 10%. I don't think so until we get to that automatic replenishment that we were discussing where our refrigerator doors and our cupboards have scanners built in and the shelves are scales and it can automatically monitor when I'm going to run out of that milk. And it sends me something on my phone saying, you're going to run out of milk in, you know, in a day, should we order it? And I just press yes, and it magically arrives. I think that right now, and there are a couple exceptions, I think Walmart with jet.com is an exception. But right now, all these people are just throwing everything they can against the wall to see what sticks. We don't know where e-commerce is going to go. I think we have an indication. If you look at Target, you know, purchasing shipped, what they want to do is they want to build a relationship, not just deliver groceries. So their model, ship's model, is that every time you order, you have the same person picking your food and delivering your food to you. And that elevates that whole experience, unlike Instacart, where Basically, I've probably ordered from Instacart 100 times since they've been in the Los Angeles area. I've never seen the same person twice. So it's, it's a very different model. And it's interesting to see what retailers are going to do. Basically, the retailers are telling me that Instacart is a short-term solution for them. They're going to want to do it themselves, whether they go out there and buy Instacart or some of the others that we target bought shipped, but they want to control it more than it's being controlled now. As far as you know, e-commerce goes for CPG companies, certainly down here in the States, Dollar Shave Club um, is that perfect example, and Bonbo socks and so on going direct to the consumer. And we're seeing a lot more of these CPG companies, including food, wanting to go direct to the consumer, again, to build that relationship. Uh, because at the end of the day, that's all you've got. You've got a relationship. You can always have somebody make a better looking product, a cheaper product, a higher quality product, whatever it is. But it's that customer relationship that whether you be a retailer or a CPG company that you need to own and to protect because that's how you're going to make your money. Oh, absolutely. And I, I feel like when we started our business here in Mercatus, we were really ushering the notion of e-commerce 2.0. And 2.0, you know, where really what it means is not so much a closed system, more platform-based, the ability for a retailer to leverage the investments that they've made in other pieces of technology by integrating them into a, you know, a central platform and so on. And then we rapidly went through what I don't want to call it a 3.0. I think it's more of a 2.5. This notion of the gig economy, right? Let's super commoditize this element of this last mile and swing the pendulum towards that area. And I can see why retailers would want to try that out because, you know, when your biggest expense is your labor and someone offers you a solution where they take that expense away from you, you know, the cost of trying it is next to nothing. But I can imagine if you wake up one morning and suddenly you realize, well, wait a minute, this is a full-fledged business. I can make money at this. What do I do? 
I can expect some retailers today are kind of waking up and there may be a little bit of a state of panic. Absolutely right. Because again, not only do you want to own it from a quality standpoint, but you know, when I think and I buy, as you probably do, a bunch of things on Amazon, Amazon owns that relationship with me. Not one of the products that I'm buying has any kind of relationship with me. Some of them don't even know who I am. Some that, that do ship by themselves, you know, do, but there's no contact. So, you know, just picture Amazon owning that customer relationship. And if Safeway or Albertsons or Schnucks or any of these retailers lose that relationship and it goes to a third party, then all of a sudden you're really going to stay up nights worrying that, you know, somebody's going to steal your business. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I've tried ordering food, you know, using Amazon and it just, I don't know this for me, I feel like I'm cheating on my grocer <laughs> and it's, and it sounds, it sounds kind of cheesy. I, I won't tell him. I won't tell him. No, but it's, it's, it sounds, it sounds cheesy even to hear myself say it, but really I just, there's something incredibly impersonal, impersonal going to the door and there's a brown box and you know, the tape says, you know, watch our new, our new TV series, Jack Ryan, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. And there's something inside that it's supposed to be, you know, conducive to me, you know, my survival and my health. I, I just don't know. I mean, I feel like there's, there's an, I'm missing that emotional attachment. And then when I look at these services, if it's not coming directly from the retailer, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not connecting as a consumer. I get the convenience aspect of it, but it's just not the same. I'm kind of curious to hear from you. What gets you excited? You know, being the guru that you are, when you kind of look into your crystal ball, because I suspect you may have something that looks like that. When you look <laughs> into it and you think, you know, in the next three to five years, I'm really jazzed about this. And I want to see that. Well, I think overall, what I'm really excited about is the fact that finally people feel the need to connect with their food, both intellectually and physically. So I think that that's big. And I think the tactics that that's going to take is going to be what's really interesting, that we're starting to see 3D printed food, talk about waste constantly. 40% of all food is being wasted. Well, you know, you go into a supermarket and you look at their pastry case and there's beautiful birthday wedding cakes and everything else there that, you know, the waste factor, in my opinion, probably is 40, 50%. You know, why can't we just have a 3D cake printed on demand? We're starting to see apps that, that connect farmers to consumers. So a farmer puts out what their crop is today and they'll deliver it to you. So I think technology really having a, uh, having a huge place and talking about technology, cellular agriculture gets me really excited because when we look at how we are growing our food, how we're growing our livestock, it's a very inefficient system, especially as we now have more climate change than ever before. And we have all these factors. If, if you look at the hurricanes that just took place, you know, here on the East Coast. I mean, we have lost tens of thousands of pigs, a couple hundred thousand of poultry, as well as, as the fields. And then what we have is we have all this land that basically is going to be destroyed for growing foods for another five to 10 years. So we've got to relook at that. And for me, a lot of that has to do with indoor farming that we're starting to see really take 
taking place in Europe and in Asia, where we can grow our foods faster because the lights are on 24 hours a day. We, we don't rely on the sun, uh, where it's a controlled environment. We don't have food safety issues like we had earlier this year that the government still doesn't know where E. coli you know, hit the whole arugula business. And arugula has still not come back uh, from that. So I think technology gets me very excited about what's going on, both from farm as well as connecting us to farmers. And frankly, we're all going to win by that because the more we know about our food, to your point, more emotional we can get about it, the better we're going to eat. I really suggest that one of the reasons that we have this huge overweight problem around the world is people are not emotionally connected with their food. You know, they're just shoveling it in because they're hungry or it's 12 noon so it's time for lunch but we have to make that mind body connection and really really be much more mindful of what we're eating if we're going to reverse that absolutely and i to add to to your narrative you know i can't agree more with this this whole notion of the you know the environment and how we grow food or raise raise farm animals, right? If we're seeing now in just in, uh, I think it's on the East coast of Canada, we're seeing a lot of Israeli farm growing techniques and technology mm -hmm. trickling in. Even I was just having a conversation with some relatives last week in Leamington, uh, mm -hmm. Ontario, which is, you have all these uh, hydroponic greenhouses. There's no soil involved whatsoever correct yeah and and the israelis have become really famous in growing tomatoes mm -hmm. in the desert in these using this these types of technologies um and that's kind of finding its way because you know phil you're so right i mean you get one hurricane especially hurricane michael that just struck eliminated literally as you said for five years uh, some of the best growing land for certain types of things when i kind of look at the the landscape of what's emerging in terms of technology i'm you know, if I put my consumer hat on, I'm thinking greater convenience, greater transparency, but a greater risk to privacy. So that is one that, you know, I'm keeping my eye out where California is by 2020 is going to come out with their own version of GDPR, mm -hmm. uh, which is really critical. And I think that's something that anyone who's running a loyalty program of some sort or any some sort of online registration mechanism with your where you're sharing private information is going to have to keep an eye out we're also i think retailers are catching up to where the banks were in the 80s and the 90s which is the notion of share wallet looking at the data hopefully leveraging it to create some sort of personalization to recommend content to grow share basket. We know Kroger is number one in this space here because of their strategic investments they've made in the past. I think you're gonna see th that type of thinking and knowledge trickle into some some of the technology that may make its way into retail. I think that's uh, incredibly exciting. I also think that we are s about to step out of, I call this, we're, we're in a world of Walmart 2.0. And Phil, you probably remember this. You remember what it was like 20 years ago when you were a retailer trying to compete against Walmart? Yep. It was atrocious, right? You you needed to find a way to differentiate yourself. Mm -hmm. I think we are going back into one of those phases again where retailers are going to have to relearn how to properly compete and differentiate themselves against Walmart. 
I think you're right. And especially I'm watching very closely what's going on at Jet.com in New York. And, you know, I think that Walmart is going to stay ahead of their competitors by having Jet, by experimenting with a lot of the things that they're doing with Jet and moving it forward into Walmart, you know, 4.0. And everybody else is going to be playing catch up because the first go around with Walmart, it was all about price and assortment and nobody could beat their prices. But in the meantime, what Walmart has done is they've created a huge infrastructure that from farm right to the stores that nobody can compete with. So it's not just about price anymore with Walmart. It's being as smart as Walmart has been as a retailer. Absolutely. And I would I would say they've not been afraid to invest not only in infrastructure, but to invest in innovation and then the whole the, the whole process. They're constantly out there experimenting with C stores, other store formats and so on. And I mean, even if you look um, earlier this week, you know, at Sears filing bankruptcy, you know, that's a perfect case where you had one of the top retailers in the world slowly, painfully going out of business because they just never got it. They weren't investing. They weren't looking at innovation. They weren't seeing what's next. They weren't getting online. You know, every retailer should be looking at that and get very nervous. Yeah. And I I made the comment today on social media when, Mm -hmm. when the announcement came out last night, ultimately Sears, specifically in Canada, lost its way the moment they decided to abolish their catalog mm-hmm. and they had no hope in hell in in surviving because they had not even conceptualized not only not did they not conceptualize what was going to keep them afloat they even and this is a true story they co-opted the idea of e-commerce mm-hmm. to a series of organizations that were responsible for the publication of the catalog so if that's not a recipe for disaster i mean i have no clue then what is Exactly. If we think of their catalog as really the first direct-to-consumer play that anybody did, and then everybody, you know, copied them, made made it better. Then we got into QVC. Now we're direct-to-consumer from manufacturers. Yeah, they they had it. But to your point, you know, you can't sit back and stop innovating and stop thinking. And not everything that you're going to do is going to work. And not everything that you do is is going to be profitable. But you need to be out there doing these things, you know, bringing it back to food in, in Chicago. You know, Mariano's is really the leader, in my opinion, for grocerants, which is one of the reasons that I feel that Kroger, you know, bought Roundy's and, and Mariano's. And um, I, I was just talking to Gary Zekel a couple of weeks ago. They had one of their grocerant offerings, which was their oyster bar. And it was written up, I think it was in Chicago Magazine, as the hottest pickup place Friday nights in Chicago, where people would go there instead of a bar to meet. And I said, how's everything going with the Oyster Bar and stuff like that? Said, I had to close them. And I said, what do you mean? You know, I I thought they were doing so well. He said, yeah, they're doing too well. There are not (laughs) enough oyster shuckers in (laughs) Chicago that I could hire or, or people that I could train. So again, the innovation has to keep on coming and keep on coming, whether it's, it's a food service operation, whether it's a retail operation, whether it's, it's a product. I mean, look at Apple, 
you know, and everybody laughs the once a year, you know, Apple uh, meeting that they have where they talk about innovation and, you know, the next series of iPhone. And then you have some of the pundits that say, oh, well, you know, it's not that innovative. They haven't done anything. They are constantly pushing themselves to to innovate, to create what's next, what's new. And even if it's little things, I think back of my iPhone that I have today versus my first iPhone wow, what a difference. And then I think back to what my iPhone is today to when I bought a Newton and before that a mini computer, my iPhone does does more, you know, for a thousand bucks than a mini computer that, that I bought, you know, 25 years ago for a hundred thousand. But, you know, and we went to the moon in 1969 with considerably <laughs> yeah. less yep. tech. While well, you guys went, I mean, we, yeah. we watched on TV in Canada. I'm sorry. So. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Phil Lampert. He is the supermarket guru. Now, Phil, you're going to grocery shop. And if our listeners want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Sure. Well, at Grocery Shop, I'll actually be having two conferences there, what they call talks. So I have four presenters who get up, they talk for seven minutes, and then I question them about their talk for seven minutes. So on Monday, the 29th at 4.15, we'll be doing food safety and supply chain transparency. That's going to cover blockchain, uh, Internet of Things and beyond. And then on Tuesday morning at 9.15, I have a panel using data to drive in-store conversion. And we're going to be talking about that, but I'll be there the whole time. You can always just send me an email, Phil at supermarketguru.com and we'll hook up. Oh, that's great. And Mark, if people want to get a hold of us for anything uh, regarding the podcast and if they want to get a hold of us at Grocery Shop. Yeah, absolutely. We're sponsoring uh, Grocery Shop. We're one of the uh, level five sponsors. We're thrilled to be able to uh, showcase uh, everything that Mercatus is doing as in support, not only our clients who are attending, but also uh, our partners as part of our larger uh, technology ecosystem. We will be at booth 314 uh, in the trade show area, and we will be there from noon on Sunday to Wednesday at noon when the show closes. And uh, we encourage everyone to stop by. To reach uh, us any other time, uh, please go to our website, com. Find us at the bottom in the footer of our social channels. Follow us there. And uh, we look forward to uh, hearing comments and accolades and critiques of our podcast. And uh, we look forward to seeing any, everyone at uh, Grocery Shop. Bill, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Our next episode is in the works. And the release date is TBD. So check back soon. Update your feed. You won't want to miss it. <laughs>